Hello, everyone. Welcome to Disc Dandies, a podcast where each episode, two friends share a recommendation with one another. We talk about what we liked, what we would change, and try not to judge each other too much over our bad tastes. This week, we com- commit mattress. I'm sorry, what? Commit matricide? Who-, who wrote this? Jordan, do you write this? Is that not okay? Just just go ahead and roll the, the intro music. Welcome to Disc Dandies. Jesus Christ. Will, here we are, second run, take two. How you feeling? I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I feel like I'm on my A game. Uh, there will absolutely be no problems with this episode whatsoever, I promise you. No, I, I'm just like staring intently at Craig right now. Oh, oh, actually, oh, we do have a problem. Uh, okay, so I'm already having a bad day. I gotta let you know. Oh, what, what's, uh, what's making your day not good? We got a situation over here. I, okay, you know me. You know I love to be hydrated. I don't have any fizzy water. Oh, no, you're a dry boy today. I only have two drinks on my desk right now. That'll make you through this introduction at most. If if I if I really had to, I could go crack a beer, you know, since it's like 11 a.m. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'll respect to our listeners. I, I'm just going to have to get through this with a, uh, a mug of uh, piping hot coffee and a huge Nalgene bottle filled with uh, uh, precious liquid gold tap water. If there's one thing I could say we could owe our listeners, I think it's a white girl wasted episode. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what. Okay, so we're not like we're not at the point where we could like ask our listeners, you know, however many or few we have for money. But I think in the future, maybe that could be an idea. We could uh, have a little, you know, little tipsy cast and uh, <laughs> um, have um, even worse opinions about the stuff we talk about. Whenever we inevitably put up our Patreon, that'll be one of our goals. Is like, hey, whenever you guys give us enough money, we'll get we'll get white girl wasted for an episode, and uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about like Sex in the City or something. We talked a little bit about this just briefly before, but now that we're recorded and uh, you know this is going to be out there in the world, I want to reiterate the idea that I want to call our fans the Dandy Dogs. The Dandy Dogs. I, I assume that's the reference to the Diamond Dogs from uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, right? Absolutely, which is definitely something we're going to talk about in the future. I think it's a good idea. Are you spoiling our future plans? Oh, no. <laughs> cut, cut, cut it out. Cut it out. Beep, 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 beep. You didn't hear anything. Yeah, b- before people dig uh, too too deep into that juicy slip, I guess we're gonna we're gonna try something new. We, we talked about this a little bit before we uh, tried our first failed recording. Again, thanks, Craig. But uh, we're we're gonna try to start these podcasts off with with a question of sorts. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to this. Please probe my brain. Yeah, th- it, so it could either pertain to the topic that we're talking about this week, or it could not at all. And this week. It's sort of in between. It's actually kind of inspired by this. But my question for you this week, Will, is: Should you or should you not meet your heroes? Mm, that's it. you're starting off with a deep one here. Um, I do like it though. I'm gonna say you should meet your heroes because they will 
always disappoint you and it's good to know like it's it's good to like get that you know um uh, occasional reminder that things are never as good as you think they are i had like a jokey kind of response to this but i, I this is actually kind of a uh, spurred on by edmund mcmillan from the binding of isaac M- mostly like the before and after that we saw from him from like the indie game the movie did you ever did you ever watch that no i haven't seen this Okay, so in Indie Game, the movie, uh, part of that movie is the creative process or like the struggles that uh, Edmund McMillan and uh, Tommy Refinez, I think his name is, his partner, his co- the co-creator of uh, Super Meat Boy. It, it was their development of Super Meat Boy. Okay. And a lot of people really loved Edmund coming out of that, out of that uh, documentary. But since then, he's kind of developed a bit of like a, like kind of a bad taste among fans because he's got he's kind of blackpilled. Oh, okay, okay. You know, tweeting things he shouldn't tweet. Okay. Um, it, it's more like he's just kind of lost all like faith in humanity is the vibe that you kind of get from him. Uh, oh, okay. Real, real quick. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, where one is like Mark Rosewater, you know, ultra wholesome designer for Magic the Gathering, and ten is like Notch. Where where's he at? Actually, I, I am one of the people who's not a big fan of Rosewater, but I'm still going to use your scale as imperfect as it is. I think he's probably okay. So, so Notch, yeah, he's like an Notch is an eleven. I would say he's probably at like a six, but it's not like he's saying racist or sexist things. It's more like he's like y'all are all assholes. F all of you is more the vibe coming from him. Oh, okay. I, th- I think I think I'm misunderstanding. Okay, so he okay, so he's not like being like a Nazi online or like uh, being being hateful, like a uh, racist and sexist. He's just hating on his fans. That's actually kind of based. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and so th- this kind of segues into my answer to this question. And I think that yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah. I mean, part of the problem with like America, America, and Americans like approach to celebrities is their ability to put or is their willingness to put them up on a pedestal and like, you know, project personalities onto these people. I think it is healthy and good to learn more about these people and kind of let them let the guard down more if they can. It's, it's just all like, I think it's like knowing that he's lost that faith a little bit is a little reassuring because it just kind of humanizes them more for me. No, that's a, yeah, that's absolutely a great way to, um, uh, to look at it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, hopefully nobody who like, uh, enjoys our podcast ever meets me because I will absolutely disappoint them. We'll just set the bar really low for both of us. So my understanding is that next episode, I'll be bringing a question for us to uh, to riff off of, and uh, I, I I'm I'm thinking about some ones that are really going to bring the um bring the chuckles, bring the yucks, uh, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, well, hopefully my uh, subject for next week can uh, provide some fuel for that because I I think I got a good one for you. Okay, yeah, this is one of the weeks where I don't know what you're going to exhort to me. So yeah, uh, very very uh, <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, hey, you want to talk about Isaac? Yeah, well, please. I'm I'm very excited to talk about this. All right. Yeah, yeah. So my exhortation for this week was the absolute classic roguelike indie game, The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Uh, and this is this is a game that both of us have 
both of us like this game and we've both put a bunch of time into it, but we just, I, I just wanted to talk about it. So it wasn't much of a surprise. Um, but for those of you who are not familiar with this game, uh, the original Binding of Isaac, uh, you know, created and designed by Edmund McMillan, who we just spoke about a little bit be uh, before in the original game, uh, it was a flash game released in 2011. To, to your uh, point about this being a classic, this uh, like I think this is just like a meat and potatoes game for people coming into video games. Like if I if you, if you can get them past the nasty imagery that some might not like, uh, if you can get them past that, you have a really like base like good gaming experience, a very good introduction to video games. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this, but I really do think this game is just really well and tightly designed and definitely that definitely works in its favor. Um, However, today we're talking about The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. And Rebirth was released in 2014 um, as a more expandable remake. Uh, Flash has, as I'm sure most of us know, Flash has a lot of limitations. Uh, and uh, they wanted to uh, remake the game in a way that would make it more expandable, where they could you know, add more content more easily, and also just update things, just make it a more stable game. Uh, so that was released in 2014 uh, and produced by the studio Nicalis. I think this is one of two partnerships with Edmund McMillan. I think they helped him make the end is nigh as well. I could be wrong, but I think I think that's correct. Yeah, they, they've had a they, they've been a like a in a few other games as well. They, they're a pretty good indie studio for from what I know about them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, if the Binding of Isaac Rebirth is any indication of their ability to like produce like a really good game, I mean, this is just the pinnacle. So uh, th there is a story to The Binding of Isaac Rebirth, but it's uh, very sparse, and you get most of it at the beginning of the story. But uh, like, like I said, it's so intertwined with everything else in the game, like all the, the gameplay and the roguelike elements that I uh, just want to go ahead and give you a quick story overview. So Isaac is just a normal kid, you know, just you know, plays with his toys, lives with his mom, just lives a normal life. Uh, and his mom, you know, is a is a lover of uh, Christian programming, as they say. You know, watches a lot of the um, the sermons and the uh, uh, you know church programming on the television. Like she's kind of played to a comical extent, obviously, like uh, because of the horrifying stuff we see in the game. But I think a lot of people, uh, especially in like the South, can uh, relate to. Uh, I guess the zealotry at work with her. Oh yeah, we we all know people who are like this. It's very much a a trope rooted in reality, especially if you're from you know like the south or or you know, rural places like that. Unfortunately, Isaac's mom starts you know hearing the voice of God as you do, <laughs> and, you know gi giving her. Um, instructions to keep Isaac uh, away from sin, uh, taking away his toys, taking away his clothes, you know, just l l making him live a very sparse life. And this culminates in, uh, you know, the voice of God asking, asking Isaac's mom to sacrifice Isaac as a, a show of devotion. And, and anybody who's familiar with Bible stories knows exactly what's happening here. An allusion to, uh, you know, the um, I believe it was Abraham uh, who was asked by God to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Yeah, uh, it was Abraham. And I think this is like a fun 
fun and subjective, but it's it's a it's a, a very unique and uh, creative take on that tale too, <laughs> especially like applying it to that like you know um, that devout Christian mother ar- archetype. It's a very like I think it's a very creative twist that uh, Ed McMillan put on that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and no one can miss the illusion. I think I, I, it is a little bit on the nose, but I think it, it works in the game's favor for that illusion to just very much be like right there in your face. You cannot miss it. So Isaac runs into his room, uh, you know, just, I mean, terrified because his mom's chasing him with a, uh, a kitchen, a huge kitchen knife, uh, you know, th- threatening to like kill him as a sacrifice to, you know, the voice of God, uh, you know, a- as you, as you would. Right. And uh, he is able to escape his mom by, you know, shutting the door, you know, looking around his room and he finds a trap door that goes down below the house. And he jumps into the trap door, and then that's where the game starts. Uh, you know, in, in the basement, right underneath uh, the house. But that's pretty much the story of of what happens, and uh, you'll see how that connects uh, to the gameplay as we go through. Uh, Jordan, I know that you are already a fan of this game, um, but you know, just put in the words for me. What do you think about this game? Okay, so yeah, as obviously as you can probably tell from what I've said so far, I really like love this game. Um, I haven't gone as deep as you or my girlfriend Tristan who has put bajillions of hours into this I, I've beaten mom on uh, several occasions which I hope isn't too much of a spoiler considering the, the nature of the game but I like I've I've made it to a bunch of like you know the post bosses after the fact but uh, in general like I like I said before I think this is a game that is very like kind of a pillar of the modern gaming industry you see a lot of like games releasing today uh like hades is the most recent example that takes a lot of inspiration from the binding of isaac and both like perspective and design where where it's like uh you you have one thing that you're doing through the entire game and all of the abilities and uh like uh, upgrades that you get are just modifying that mechanic and i think that's like 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 I said, very much a meat and potatoes thing. And if anyone ever asks me for like, what, what's a game that you would point people to, to introduce them to the gaming industry. And if assuming they're like open-minded enough to the themes and the imagery, I would probably point to the binding of Isaac. Yeah. Now that you mention it, uh, this game, the binding of Isaac and some of, and then McMillan's other games, like a uh, Super Meat Boy, would be the other like super huge one. Really was, uh, you know, it, it's you know a, a pillar of modern gaming for the reasons that you said. But it's also just like one of the first examples of like a um, like a truly independent game just becoming huge and becoming like a phenomenon in the gaming industry, right? Um, you know, uh, the the whole independent game uh, development scene owes a whole lot to both Ed and McMillan and this game. I think that's very much true. Cause like, I mean, both whenever like Ed and McMillan, I think really got, was one of the reasons why the indie scene really took off the way it did. And again, that's documented in a little bit in indie game, the movie, but like he, they released um, super meat boy on games with gold and were like the, top seller for a time you know back on the xbox 360 you know he kind of did it again with binding of isaac where i think i think if i'm not mistaken binding of isaac has even outstripped super meat boy's success that's what i would that's what i would assume but uh, i don't know i don't have the numbers in front of me i assume that's the case with how much how often they go back to the well with it because you know whenever they released rebirth he was like this is the last time and then he did afterbirth and he was like this is the last time and now yeah. they're doing another one right now. And he's like, okay, this is the last time again. 
<laughs> big Kojima energy. Yeah, for real. Uh, and I think part of it's just because, like, I mean, he, I think he very much obviously loves the, the game himself. It's not, I, I think that, that more than any other thing we've seen from him is probably his biggest, like, I, I don't want to speak for him, of course, but if I could, like, uh, have a take on it, I think it would be that this is probably the big passion project for him, just considering he keeps going back to it. Right, right. Well, I'm glad to hear that you like this game as, as much as I do. Do you want to get into the uh, um, specifics of the gameplay? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So uh, we've used the term already, but um, this is you know a shining example of a roguelike. And for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, it, it comes from you know the play pattern of the original game called Rogue. And the term really these days means any game that is based on like a procedurally generated pattern of some sort, uh, either like uh, the um, uh, dungeons or uh, okay, I'll just speak for this game. The dungeons are procedurally generated uh and the placement of items that you find as you're going through the dungeons uh are randomized their placement plus what they are um all the what the rooms contain all of it uh changes from game to game uh and and also a part of what roguelike uh, roguelike means is that it, it's a replayability aspect that you're not expected to win every game and when you die you will start the game over again and everything gets reset. There are meta things that, you know, kind of keep the game progressing, uh, you know, from playthrough to playthrough. But the, the idea is that you will die a lot and then you will always start over and lose all of your progress. Yeah, and that and typically uh, the length of the campaigns are condensed because I'm sure a lot you know people that are maybe uninitiated to the genre might hear that and be like, oh, that sounds miserable. But it's like the entire playthrough is pretty condensed. I think you can like get from the beginning of an Isaac run to mom in like a couple of hours. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it, it's one of those things where like, sure, it can seem like it hurts a lot, but I mean, once you get used to the idea of losing that progress and dying and stuff it's just kind of a part of the the loop it it, it speaks to a player who is focused on approving their skills and getting better uh it's not there there are players who are going to see a game like this and think oh this is not fun i don't i don't want to do this uh i i don't want to lose my progress all the time and then there are players who are able to find the fun in basically figuring out the system uh figuring out how to get past it and how to improve from run to run so i won't say that this game is for everyone uh and it's definitely something i kind of had to get acclimated to i've definitely had uh, some times where i was incredibly frustrated because i made a silly mistake and then lost a really good run um but that's that's just what this game is you know you you have to be able to find the fun in that but I think both myself and Tristan would consider this like a game that you're going to unwind to as stressful as like losing that progress can be. But like if I don't really feel like committing too much to anything or like I like this is the sort of game I want to play where I sit down. My progress is very like limited. I can just kind of like, you know, turn my my brain to soup and just you know, uh, just try to push a run through and I don't feel too torn up if I die or anything like that. It's just, it, it, it feels really good to just sit down and play. 
Sure, sure. Uh, well, let's get further into the uh, into the um, uh, mechanics of the game. Um, so it plays a lot like, and this is the this is the this is the comparison that everyone makes is that it plays just like old school Legend of Zelda. Uh, the the dungeons play out there, you know, like uh, square rooms or not always square, but mostly square rooms. They're uh, stacked in um, uh, you know rows and columns, and you have to navigate the rooms one by one, clear them of enemies. Uh, by shooting your tears of course you know isaac is very sad that his mom is trying to kill him so he he is permanently crying and he shoots uh tears um you know in cardinal directions towards the enemies and kills them that way and you progress you find bombs keys coins you know much like the original uh, Legend of Zelda, and you um, you want to find there's there's a shop room, there's a treasure room, and then a boss room, uh, and you just find these rooms, you clear them, you get any items you you can, you buy stuff from the shop, and and then once you beat the boss, you go down to another level and do it all over again, and that's the basic progression, uh, uh, you know, and you get stronger as you find items, and you just keep going as far as you can until you can. There is an end that you can reach. But the idea is that you just keep going until you can't anymore. Yeah, and the end is never as like uh, conclusive as you'd think because there's always more to find after the fact. It's just something I really liked about this game is that like the well is extremely deep. So if like you decide that you just want to play more, you're always going to find something new. There's just like a the items all augment your uh, base ability to to shoot tears. You'll get some like consumable items that you you know kind of use once with like the press of, press of a button that like you know like a bomb or something like that. But for the most part. Uh, all of your abilities are augmenting the size, speed, uh, and effect of your tiers. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, there's one ability that'll turn your tiers into, like, lasers. And yeah. uh, and then you could get another one that's like, okay, well, now those tiers, your tiers shoot in, like, little loops or circles. And then that suddenly you're, like, shooting these giant circular laser beams. Yeah, it's really cool how how, like, augmented you can become as you play you start out as just a baby wearing no clothes and that's crying and at the end if you, if you get to the end or you grab a bunch of items and all the items kind of change your appearance which is another cool thing you start looking pretty grotesque uh, and your uh, your tears start being very powerful and doing weird stuff uh, to your to your advantage i think that the amount of treasure um, and you know the items the special items you could pick up that augment your abilities is one of the major like selling points of this game you know the original game you know had had a good amount uh, enough to kind of keep playing the game and get a bunch of combinations the with with rebirth and then all of the dlc that they've been adding there are so many pieces of treasure and like you have to play for hundreds and hundreds of hours to even be able to see all of the items that are available to you yeah i I definitely think that's the biggest strength of this game is that like every playthrough feels different mostly just because like the the mechanic while it's still the same it can feel very different it keeps it interesting yeah yeah um and the flavor of these items is also um really really well done really flavorful and really tightly designed into like the flavor and the story of of the of the whole game um a lot of it is a lot of it are clues to the fact that Isaac has a really 
tough childhood. Um, you know, you can find dog snacks that are called like, you know, like a snack or, uh, you know, um, a spoiled milk that's called breakfast. Uh, and you get these clues as to, you know, kind of what, what kind of childhood um, that Isaac is having. And then a lot of religious items, too. I think some of the more like really disturbing ones too are just like things that Isaac interacts with that you're just like, oh god, no kids should ever have to interact with that. But it'll be like hit like half of his cat Guppy. I can't remember if it was Roadkill or something his mom did, but it's there are just things that you find that are just like Jesus, you know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea is that, you know, he's underneath the house. So you find a lot of stuff that would be normal to just like lose and like end up underneath the house, like your old dead cat or, uh, <laughs> you know, like a old dog food or, um, you know, like a lost key or, you know, a razor blade or something like that. Um, so, you know, so that's definitely a uh, flavorful kind of gives us a window into Isaac's troubled childhood. Uh, and then I, I really do like the religious items because you get both like devilish stuff, you know, stuff, you know, um, like um, connected to Satan, like, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the pit and like uh, demonic pact and stuff like that. But you can also get like, like um like heaven stuff like from god so you can get like a bible or you know um uh like a, a like a wafer that you know uh protects you know, a holy mantle um so you can definitely you, you kind of get both sides of the religious stuff it's not just he becomes a demon and starts like worshiping satan you can definitely play it and uh, get a whole bunch of you know i guess like good religious items and i like how good in this game is like really like uh kind of loose because there are angelic or like heaven enemies in the game as well that are kind of just as terrifying as any of the demonic stuff. The game has a very like kind of gray view on those things, and I like that a lot too. It's it, it there's a lot of like subtext to it all, like you know God being the one that like kind of instigated all of this stuff happening for for Isaac. Anyways, it's uh, there's a lot of really nice spins on it. That's a great way to, to put it. And I, yeah, I think it has a very great look at, at religion. Um, towards the end of the game, you can actually choose to, there are two routes that you can take. And one takes you to uh, Sheol and uh, lets you fight Satan. So basically you're going further, further into hell. And then there's another one that actually takes you to the cathedral. So that would be like the heaven counterpart uh, to Sheol. And that one is very much like coded as like, you know, oh, it's good and everything's bright and blue and all that stuff. But the enemies are still there and they're still trying to kill you. Uh, and uh, you end up actually fighting yourself at the end of it, which is definitely, you know, trying to say, say something about Isaac's experience. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, very gray look at, at religion. So they, yeah, so at the end of each uh, level, you have to fight end bosses. And these are usually pretty grotesque. A lot of devils, a lot of like spiders and flies. Uh, there's Monstro, which is a, you know, huge like blob of um, uh, flesh, right? Blob of flesh that like shoots uh, uh, tears and like beam shots at you. Uh, and and they, they start out pretty easy you know of course because they want you to kind of you know be able to get a little bit further once you they do get harder 
really uh, like exponentially harder once you get uh, to the end. And uh, if you get items that are you know okay, but you're, you like they don't really synergize well, um, you know syner synergy between items is also a really important part of like getting super powerful in this game. If you just have a bunch of so-so items, you're gonna hit a wall uh, to a point where you need to be a very good player and able to compensate for your items not being that great to continue. I, I think I felt that a lot my first few times playing the game. And I think that it's hard to kind of recognize that there are just some items you shouldn't pick up as well. Like the, there are specific abilities that when I see, I'm like, I am not getting that. Typically it's the ones where the, the like corkscrew your tears or something like that, where I'm just like the last time I got that, it ended in me having a very miserable run. So there is still some amount of like player agency in the game as well. You're not just left with, you know, what you're given, which is nice. Yeah, there are, I don't want to say that any items are bad. I think that every item has a synergy with like another item or another set of items that's definitely possible to like be powerful and win with. I, I think everyone can agree that there are some items that are just good no matter what. Like you always want to get them. And then there are some that are, you know, interesting and flavorful. So let me ask you, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this, but do you think that everything that Isaac sees and does in the game, like, you know, when he goes to Shoal and fight Satan and all that stuff, do you think all that stuff actually happens? Like, whenever I first started playing the game, I assumed it was all just, like, metaphorical or stuff that he was seeing, but I, I, there's a certain point, I think, where you go deep enough into the game that it, there's just a lot happening and there's so many like deep references that like I just think implies that this stuff is actually happening. There, there are some bosses that are just very like, how the hell would a child know about this type thing? And like, what, what would the metaphor even be outside of this just actually happening? I, I think that this is just actually happening. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there is now the, the story of this game is very sparse, but there is like different endings to it which i don't think we're going to get into we are going to like leave that as a um, as a spoiler three uh, free thing that you can experience on your own uh but i do think that some of the endings do kind of clue you in on like what's actually happening um I, i'm gonna take the contrarian take here and say that there's definitely a point in the game where it starts getting untethered from reality and it's not really what's going on like i don't think isaac's really going to shill and uh fighting satan or going to you know the um going to the cathedral and fighting himself there, there's definitely like a point where it becomes like me metaphysical whether that's like um you know him imagining or you know actually becoming untethered from reality and becoming some sort of like you know um uh, interterrestrial being i don't know um but yeah i, I just think that's interesting that it's like it gets it's not completely rooted in reality. There's definitely something else going on. This game like kind of uh, intentionally goes off the rails in terms of that stuff. And, and I think it's, I want to say, like, interpretable to a point. I think a lot of, if you try to uh, apply, like, real-world, like, attributes to Isaac or anything else that's happening in that house, I think a lot of the reason why I just don't think that it is imaginings is just, like, how the hell would, a, like, a kid know about these things? Even, even if his mom was just, like, heavily, like, religiously inclined, there are just, like, references and uh, figures that you come across that are just, like, very, like, uh, deep cuts in terms of religious allegory goes, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I think some of that is just Edmund McMillan just like putting a lot of his lived experience into this game. I mean, for him to like design this game and to put all of this in here, um, you know, like you you can tell, and I, I know that he's like on um, he's on record saying these things, but like a lot of his like shitty childhood, you know, uh, is is in that, and you know, um, uh, kind of kind of uh, expressing his like you know um, fears as a child and like his feelings about how he grew up and you know the people around him when he was a child, um, a lot of that is coded into the game. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that just you know, is kind of just his lived experience. So it's just a lot more meta than what even the game would have you believe. It's it's like a, it, it is just more like autobiographical to an extent. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and that and yeah. It just the game is so tightly designed that you know, like you can tell that Edmund put a ton of work into this and turning it into a game that's one both fun, uh, you know, like um um gameplay wise, uh, mechanically very intricate and uh, um engaging, and then also just be you know like very expressive of who he is as a person and all of his fears and anxieties. It's just like, it, it really is just the perfect package of, you know, form and function. Um, and, and actually um, something else I wanted to talk about, and I think kind of uh, uh, goes into that is um, there are lots of playable characters um, that you can play. Like there's Isaac who starts out, you know, like not with anything special. And eventually in the game, he gets the D6. So he becomes like his own um, uh, special character. But there are other characters that you can play and uh, and then a whole bunch that you can unlock. And we're not going to talk about all of them, but they're all uh, references to biblical characters. And I I'm sure like that's supposed to be a reference to like, you know, how he has all of this exposure to Christianity, uh, you know, through his mom and uh, his environment. And it, it, one of my favorite details about this is that you can tell that they aren't actual different characters. They're Isaac in like costumes. So Magdalene is him wearing a wig and Kane is him wearing an eye patch. Um, just a really interesting um, a way to take the, other playable characters and tie it into the story. Yeah. And it also kind of like lends another like, uh, like angle to the whole idea that Isaac is very confused about how, who he is as a person as well, uh, playing dress up as these other people, because there's also like other items that you pick up that maybe lend credence to the idea that like Isaac is not confident in things like his sexuality or who he is as a person, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, in between each of the levels, you actually get a shot of Isaac laying on the floor crying. And, uh, you know, he remembers, like, bad things that happened to him. And one of them is people laughing at him for wearing a wig. Uh, and then a lot of other ones that are pretty funny, like him, like, being in the bathroom and there not being any toilet paper is pretty <laughs> funny. And uh, people laughing at him because, like, his pants fell down, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But then you get you get those, like, really serious ones where, you know, like, you know, he, he gets laughed at for wearing the wig. Or, like, he keeps trying to hug his mom's leg and his mom keeps kicking him off. You know, that, that stuff's, like, really sad. Yeah, and this probably sounds, like, super demented for us to be, like, enjoying. But it's, a, it's one of those things where it's, it's all in the presentation. It's very well delivered and it doesn't it, it, as mean as a lot of it is it's never it, it never feels mean if that makes sense you're always meant to feel sympathy for isaac yeah for sure um i i don't know all the details about like edmund mcmillan's life and anything i want to like make any assumptions about what his life was like but like you know that's how people deal with like 
tough things in their life is that they, you know, make jokes about it. And, you know, they, you know, uh, uh, you know, express it in ways that are like, you know, subversive and, you know, silly as a, as a way to like work through all that stuff and uh, uh, present it in a way that, you know, um, makes them healthier at the end. And that's definitely what's happening in this game. So I like roguelikes um, just as a genre, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I've played a whole bunch of them. I mean, Isaac is definitely the one that I've uh, put a lot of time into. Uh, I, I would say the other one that I've really spent time with is like Rogue Legacy, um, which is a different type of game. What other roguelikes do you have experience with? Is Isaac your favorite roguelike? Let me. Th okay, so the, I, I referenced it earlier, but Hades is the most recent one that I've been playing. I... I... I think as of right now, that'd probably be my like my game of the year. To be honest, like I, I it, it doesn't even really feel close to the other stuff I've played this year. Just to kind of give a short overview, you, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people have played it by now, but it, you play as like the son of uh, Hades, Lord of the Underworld, God of the Underworld, and your entire goal is to escape the underworld, and you are forming and improving relationships with other gods and mythological Greek figures. Like, you know, you'll have, like, Nyx, the, uh, the, like, the entity of night, and, like, other gods, like, uh, Zeus and uh, Artemis and stuff, that you, like, form relationships and improve over the game. I, I would say that, as of right now, Isaac is probably my favorite roguelike, but I think Hades is one that I would say is, like, giving it a good run for its money right now. Oh, yeah, Hades is exploding. Like, it just got nominated for a lot of uh, like game of the year awards and, and stuff like that i have not played it so i can't speak to it um I, I, I guess the point i'm trying to get at is do you think that isaac is like what roguelike should be or is there things that are going on in the roguelike world that isaac is missing uh and is um uh, a detriment to it um I, I wanted to ask you because i figured you probably had more experience with roguelike than i do okay yeah I, i've played a bunch of roguelikes i would say like uh just just challenging games in general or something that like i especially like in my like younger years uh teenage and like early 20s like i played a ton of uh of like roguelikes and like like harder games like dark souls and stuff they're just a genre that i'm attracted to i don't think that you can criticize isaac's gameplay philosophy because again it's very much like everyone all these games like whether or not they are more considered roguelites because they let you carry over more of your progression than something like isaac or even hades would or they are more like isaac where it's a lot more of a hard reset i i think that isaac is like the parent to all of those games in a way even if it's taken some ideas from other games as well i it, i think that isaac it, in my opinion it is the closest thing to perfection in the roguelike genre genre that we have because everyone looks to it and it still feels great and plays great and it's still very interesting to play after all this time i, I don't think i could level criticism at it you say all that yet when i exhorted you to play helltaker apparently that was too much too hard uh, okay because i think that game was poorly designed but I, that's all i'll say about that uh, yeah, I, I totally understand. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I have to compare this to Rogue Legacy, which is a game where, like, when you die, you start over. But the progression system in that game where you get the gold and then you can level up your character and eventually you get to the point where you can get really far into the game you are essentially playing the same game over and over again I, I feel that from run to run isaac is very much a different game 
from run to run. And a lot of that is the combination of the items that you pick up. Uh, instead of a game like Rogue Legacy, where you just become better at the same game over and, and over again. So I didn't know if um, Isaac was like unique in that sense. Uh, that you know that it, like the the individual runs are so different from each other uh, than a game like Rogue Legacy, where it really just feels like you're playing the same game over and over. D does Hades have a lot of like um, a, a differentiation between the individual runs? Yeah, absolutely. Because like there are these like bestow. This is the thing is like Hades takes a lot from Isaac, I think, and it modernizes a lot of the Isaac ideas, mostly in its like relationship systems and stuff, where you're just kind of like giving items of favor to these different like Greek mythological figures. But what 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 Hades is doing is very similar to like the item augmentation system from Isaac, which is that uh, you get different bestowments from the gods that you apply to your abilities and it alters them you'll have like uh, two doors when you finish a level one will be zeus one will be artemis and you get to kind of like choose which direction you're going to go and like you choose upgrades from them for yourself but um it, it does it is i think it's more of a rogue light though than a like a which is like just to say that it's still you still get hard resets whenever you die but you carry over more progress because there are permanent upgrades you can buy for Zagreus the main character so it's one of those things where it's like it, it takes a lot from Isaac but I think it's a, lot, a much more approachable point to the genre because it's it allows you to uh, actually do more hard progress if that makes sense Okay, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I imagine that any roguelike game that comes out after like 2011, the last 10 years or so, has to take at least some inspiration from The Binding of Isaac just because of just how much of a phenomenon it is. I think you have to. It did so many things right. I don't think you're wrong to like strike out and try to do try to do new things. But I think there are some like fundamentals that Isaac touches on in the roguelike genre, which is like keep your gameplay relatively simple uh, and augment the gameplay. I think that is just something that is just such a good lesson to take away when designing a roguelike because there's a lot that you can do with it you you, deter you determine the parameters of what your gameplay is doing and what those augments do to that gameplay and, and i think that's a very good philosophy to have because it makes these games replayable it, like keeping them simple but like have a really high ceiling for change is just like the it's the it's the bread and butter of the genre at this point i think and isaac exemplifies that Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about other games that aren't like super replayable. Like, you know, of course, I have hundreds of hours uh, in, in Magic the Gathering Arena and uh, other games of that uh, genre. Uh, but I'm thinking about other games that just mean a whole lot to me that I, you know, like fundamental pillars of my existence that i have not nearly put that much time into um you know we've talked about it you know before i'm sure we'll we'll talk about it in the future we're both huge metal gear fans right and yes i i have put a lot of time into metal gear um but you know like i don't think that i've come close to putting the hours into metal gear that i have into this <laughs> silly roguelike where you go around and you shoot tears at, at, at things um so I, I yeah i just think that that speaks a lot to how these games kind of you know like get you hooked and get you like um exploring all the different you know combinations and ways that the game uh can uh play out um you know so th that just speaks a lot to it yeah, yeah. It, it, just to kind of like kind of button that idea, I think like if if Call of Duty modern or like kind of like a homogenized first person shooter controls, I think Isaac uh, kind of uh, 
homogenized in a good way or like set the standard for what your gameplay should, you know, strive for, uh, which is just simple, but infinitely replayable. So I'm I'm addicted to this game, Uh, but sometimes I can step away from it and not play it for a while. Before I made the exhortation to you, it had been a while since I've played Isaac. Um, But, you know, since I exhorted it and I wanted to get back into it, so I, you know, to get ready for this discussion, uh, I started playing it and uh, I'm addicted again. Uh, uh, Hello, my name is Will and I'm addicted (laughs) to the Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Um, I think I've put 20 hours. Now, it, it has been a little bit since we, you know, did the exhortation. So it hasn't just been a week, but I think that I've put about 15, 20 hours into it since uh, since then. Uh, did you get, have you gotten super seriously addicted to it since we started playing this game again? Okay, so I intentionally chose not to get addicted to it. Like, I, I, I will, for one of the things that makes it hard for me to play it right now is that uh, I played it a lot on the PlayStation uh, whenever I was primarily playing there. Since I got my PC, my, my girlfriend has largely, um, let's just say she has commandeered the PlayStation. She's using it for her purposes now. And uh, I have to play on her Switch to play Isaac, which is also being commandeered by children to play Breath of the Wild. So yeah. uh, I, I got, I think I got about like six or seven hours in to it since we, uh, since I was exhorted with uh, Binding of Isaac, which yeah, the like I, I it's on sale on Steam right now, and I'm just eyeballing it real hard because I like I do want to play more. It is just one of those games that once you start playing, you just get it, it's really good at making you like kind of hard to detach yourself from it because it, it's just like we said, it's just a very interesting approach to game design, and I think about it a lot after playing it. Yeah, for for sure. Um, so I'm going to try to wean myself off of it, probably with Rocket League or Magic, one of those uh, mm-hmm. my 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 other vices, and uh, finally wean myself off of it and do- until a couple you know months you know later, I'll dust it off and get addicted all over again. But um, I have some quick hits for you. Would you like to get into it? Yeah, first one's mine though. I'm gonna hit you with it. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So, Will. You've been playing this a long time, so you can probably like uh, go on huge tears about this. But I'm gonna say, I'm gonna ask anyways. Who is your favorite boss, and separately, final boss? Okay, so for my favorite boss, uh, this is kind of a, a a silly answer, but I think that mine's going to be the Duke of Flies. Um, I just something about that um, boss I find very compelling. Um, I enjoy it, it kind of reminds me of like a kind of like a bullet hell situation where, you know, it moves in a kind of um, straight line pattern where it b- bounces off the walls and it keeps shooting these flies at you and, and like you keep trying to hit it with your tears but these flies that it keeps vomiting out keep getting in in your way um it's a bit of a softball um boss once you're like really good at the game um but i remember the duke of flies giving me a lot of trouble when i very first started this game and uh, is probably like one of my favorite designs out of all of the um like early bosses that everyone would have seen um and, and as far as final boss i think i'll go with satan i, I like the satan boss a lot yeah, uh, I, I like both of those bosses. Duke of Flies was one that, yeah, it, it was kind of a, like a big what the fuck the first time I played against it. it it's just a very like grotesque thing. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, you, I mean, you got you got to love the big Lucifer. I'd say for me, my favorite boss uh, also is another one that I consider to be like whenever I think of Isaac, I immediately think of this because this is my first wall, like the first boss that like uh, just halted my progress every time I came across it. But it was Gemini. Oh, yes, yes. 
yeah, I, I actually like it more for its flavor than anything. And then final boss is the lamb. I've never fought the lamb. I have made it really deep into Binding of Isaac, but there's a certain point where I just wanted to play something she could let loose and just kind of relax with. And Binding of Isaac yeah. was that game for her, which is why she had so many hours in it. And I remember the first time she, you know, went to Sheol and the first time she fought the lamb and how insane that boss fight was and also how just like cool the lamb looks. Um, It was just a very like, uh, and she got stuck on it forever. She fought it so many times uh, in whenever she, I just remember that moment when she crossed that finish line and was how excited she was. I just have a lot of like, it's a really, it's like a demonic figure in hell type thing, but it's still just like a, a really sweet memory that i have of that. yeah the lamb is a really cool boss um you know it's multi-stage um it's very um i i mean it it's flavorful in a way um you know to to what the lamb is um yeah very very good one um well, l- let me ask you as a a compliment to this question so you know the um seven like the seven like uh, deadly sins bosses that you'll see throughout the the game which one of those is your favorite to fight um, I'd say probably, uh, I'd say, pro- I forget which one's the one that rides the horse, like the horse stick, the horse stick. Um, I, oh, you, you, that's a different thing that those are the horsemen. Um, oh, there's a okay. couple of those I'm talking about like, uh, not, yeah, there's greed, but there's also like lust, envy, sloth, gluttony. Um, do you, do you know which ones I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which ones you're talking about. I thought that was one of them, but I guess it would probably be yeah i think maybe maybe i think probably envy would be the one because i think i've encountered it the most it's like uh, I, I encounter lust a lot as well but lust is just kind of like very easy for me you know yeah but like i, I think envy i i, th- I think I, I like the like the boss design of envy a lot i i will say and i, I don't know the name of it um I, I i don't think i like any of them over the others the one i absolutely hate is the one where it just uh, goes in arcs and then uh, when you when you like kill it, it breaks into two more pieces that go faster, and uh, you have to like kill all of them. Um, it oh, plays yeah. it plays a lot like the Duke flies, but I actually don't like it when I have to fight that one. Yeah, I feel like I've I, every time I fought that one, that it was always in like a really close quarters too, so it made it extra agitated. You just didn't oh, have as yeah. much maneuverability with it. Sure, sure. Uh, well, let, let me ask you, um, and, and I don't know how far you've gotten into the game, uh, but um, if you had the choice to go, where would you go? Uh, Sheol or the chest? I have made it far enough to make this decision before. I've gone to both. Uh, I think uh, as interesting as the environments are in the chest, I think Sheol is just where I always like to go. It has, the, the, I mean, honestly, just the coolest bosses and stuff, uh, even though they yeah. beat the crap out of me. I just I really like Sheol. It's sweet. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially since you like the lamb um, uh, boss fight so much. I would say uh, if I wasn't trying to like complete objectives or anything like that, I would probably always go to the chest, um, you know, just for story reasons. And also, I just like the design of the uh, cathedral. Um, I, I like all the like how it, it goes from being like super dark depths to like, oh, you're in a church now. Stained glass. Uh, I, I, stained glass. And then, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, so yeah, so that that's my answer. Um, can you spell Isaac correctly the first time? So I can do it if I'm not thinking about having to spell it. If I if I if some if I'm just like writing it in a sentence, I could spell it correctly. But I bet if you asked me to spell it uh, without it being spelled out in front of me, I yeah, it, it would. I'd probably not. I'd probably put two s's. 
I, I can't. I actually had to, uh, when I was writing up the script for this, I actually had to like copy and paste Isaac. So I didn't have to worry about keep, uh, uh, you know, continually spelling it correctly. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and then I guess, uh, what item are you most excited to come across in a run? Oh, there are so many. Okay, so there are definitely items I don't ever want to see. Uh, soy milk is one of those. Um, there's a lot of rinky-dink, like, uh, usable items that I don't think are that, you know, good. What's uh, the one that splits your tears? Oh. Like, oh, they go I, off in a V? Yeah, yeah. There's the one that, like, gives you double tears. Uh, you know, you shoot two, two at one, and they go off in different directions. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of it. I hate that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. That one's That one's tough. Uh, there is I, I mean basically this probably speaks to me as a player like i'm sure like you can get really good with uh, items that kind of you know make you super fast or let you do this and that but i mean let's be honest anytime you see something that increases your damage is like the number one way to like be really good and uh in the run so i'm always looking for anything that's going to give me you know plus one damage um so, uh, like um polycephus i think is the one where it gives you just one big eye and then like your tears are slow but they're huge and they do like almost like double damage like that's like those types of items are the ones that i always want to get i think that i lean towards items that allow me to maneuver more or not not necessarily increase my speed but they uh they they allow they can kind of cover up my mistakes and yeah. uh, this one's very basic but uh shielded tears um, anytime oh, okay. I get that, anytime I can get something that can like negate enemy abilities and just kind of let me get out of like a tricky situation, I go for it. And like the Shield of Tears is the one where because you, you can just kind of like fire them out and create a wall and get yourself out of a bad spot. And I, I really like that about that one. This is a bit of a normie answer, but a uh, brimstone. I mean, everyone loves brimstone. It's yeah. obviously one of the best items you can get uh so brimstone is always like an auto get um even even the brimstone familiar like little brimstone uh that's a that's a weaker and a little hard to control i'll still like always get that just because it's so good uh do you like uh do you like uh the things that make your tears into not just tears but like I, i'm thinking of like dr fetus where you start shooting bombs or uh, oh. Or um, what's it called? It's like I, it's like IPAC or IPSAC, uh, where it basically makes you vomit like arcing bombs. Do, do you like those items? I think I think those are fine. I think I like the ones that like like wholly uh, go off like just or just nuts or like. There's one that like does like rainbows, right? I don't recall. I've probably seen that before, but I don't recall it off the top of my head. Okay, well, there, there's some really, like, insane uh, abilities that, like, your tears just aren't even tears anymore. Like, and, like, the bombs are kind of akin to that. But I yeah. like when you get so many abilities, like, stacked on your tears that you're, you're just shooting these, like, like rays or whatever else. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, uh, I like it when it goes more in that direction. The bombs, so the bombs and Isaac, I try to stay abilities that use too many of them because I always end up killing myself on the bombs. How about pills? Do you use pills a lot or do you just like try not to use those? Oh, I use them every time I come across them because there are some really good ones. I get punished for it a lot, but it's just kind of like for me, it's like, hey, if this doesn't work out, whatever, I can just do another run. But like, I think the runs where I have the most success are the ones where I had good pills that I hit. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm actually I, I don't know why, um, because I never use like blood donation machines or like the sacrifice rooms. I never do any of those. But like, I'll take every single pill that's given to me. And uh, it doesn't usually hurt me too much. Like it, it's always kind of 
even, you know, like you may hit one that kind of brings you down a little bit, but then you'll get one that like, you know, brings up another stat and you feel like it was all kind of a wash. Oh, the the ones that I've had, like there was one where I had like all good pills uh, and I had like, it was like tears up, tears speed up and tear damage up. And I was just like shredding everyone. Uh, so it, like, it's those experiences that made me kind of go like, you know what? I think maybe getting a bad one every now and then is just worth it, you know? For sure, for sure. Uh, to, to go back to the items, one like strategy that I love, I I absolutely want to cheese the game. I do not want to win fairly. Um, a, a combination that I actually really love is um, a combination of flying and then spectral tears. Um, so your tears like go through like b- rocks and and all sorts of other stuff. So you can like fly above rocks where enemies can't he- uh, reach you, and you can shoot them through the rocks. Um, I will absolutely take an extra hour to the cheese the game and uh, use that to its full advantage hey if it's there you got to do it but that also makes you like a nasty like like combo player or something like that in magic doesn't it oh yeah that I, that's absolutely like the turn zero storm <laughs> uh, thing to do in in isaac now, now that we've alienated all of our listeners <laughs> yeah for sure uh, uh, magic talk will do that um i think i got one more question for you um so like there's a bunch of different characters and we didn't really go through all of them but like if w- what is your favorite character to play uh in a run of isaac definitely not the lost i hate getting the lost because then you can't heal i would say the See, I, I've unlocked several of the characters, but Tristan is the one that has unlocked the most. And I think the runs that I've most enjoyed watching from her was uh, the Azazel runs, where you oh, start, yeah. Off, yeah, where you start off, start off as the flying, like kind of like demon type thing. Is that that's Azazel, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, th- those are the ones I've always enjoyed watching the most, just because it led to uh, the most interesting runs. Because there, there are there like playing as Azazel like leads to uh, another character that you can unlock or another ending that you can get, and the challenge was just like super interesting because Azazel also I don't think can heal, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, uh, that that was probably my favorite that I saw. Oh, nice, nice. Um, yeah, there are unlockable. Char- there are even unlockable characters that I haven't gotten yet. Um, I actually don't think I have the lost. Uh, so uh, uh, even though I've put all this time into it, um, there are certain part. There are certain things in the game that are like really difficult to do. Like there are challenges that I just like cannot do, and I play them a couple of times. And I'm like, this is actively unfun. I don't want to have to like make myself do this. So I'll just live without this extra character. Um, I, I'd have to say that my favorite character to play is uh, Judas, uh, you know, who has a you know really cute uh, fez. Starts out with um, he starts out with extra money as a you know reference to the you know 30, uh, 30 coins that he got, and he starts out with the uh, Book of Belial, which you can use to I believe it doubles your damage or gives you plus two damage. It's something really good makes you makes your tears really powerful. But in exchange for that, he's very weak. Like he's like he starts with one heart or maybe it's two it's one of those it's lower than just the normal starting with isaac so he's a really glass like a glass cannon character but he really leans into my play style where i just want the most powerful tiers i can get and just basically blaze through everything i think i've played as judas several times as well he's one of the you know the early ones i think you can get uh, I, I like him as well. I, I like any of the characters that can kind of give you that leg up, especially when you're just like, okay, this time I'm going to make that push. For sure, for sure. And I like Isaac too. Um, like, like I said, oh, 
Isaac, once you um, play the game for a little bit, he eventually gains a starting item, uh, you know, a lot like Judas, um, and he starts with the D6, which is one of the more powerful um, items in the game. It actually lets you exchange an item that you haven't picked up yet for another random item. So if you're someone like me or people who are super into the game where you um, you'll look up every item and you see what it does and you try to evaluate, is this a good fit for my current build? You can actually game the D6 to like re-roll things multiple times until you get something that synergizes really well with what you're doing or is just a good item overall. Every now and then I like doing a run like that where I, you know, like spend hours and hours like researching everything and trying to get as many rolls on the D6 as possible. But I can't do it too much because it is really stressful if you want to put that much like planning and time into one Isaac run. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been to the point that I um, that I go uh, that I that I've stressed myself out. I, I've mostly just I think I probably lean more towards the. Um, I'll just see what I get type playthrough, but I do like kind of try to like strategize what I'm going to pick up as I'm going. Uh, I don't think I've actually gotten to the point where I get the, I've gotten the D six for Isaac. I think I, I, uh, I, as much time as I put into the game, I, my skill level may not be very high, you know? Sure. Sure. And that's totally, you know, a reasonable way to do it. So basically it's a black hole and I've been sucked in completely. There's no hope for me. There's still hope for you. Please do everything you can to escape from this, Jordan. You do not want to be here with me. I wish you had said that before I uh, pressed buy on the steam cell page. <laughs> that, that being said, that makes this sound like a really bad game, but no, this is, this is a really, really good, well-designed, really fun game. And I'm glad that we were able to talk about it this, uh, this episode. Yeah, meat and potatoes. Put it in your plate. If you if you uh, if you're into what we've talked about, I, I think it's a very rewarding experience. It, it it also, I think it's one of the games that like as I played and as I watched it, like it, it taught me a lot about like value in good game design. Um, mo- mostly just that like uh, y- you know, it, more is not always better. And and in this case, uh, the type of more that it gives you, which is like the variation and like augments and stuff. It, it had more power than like giving you more mechanics, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for joining me on this exhortation. Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Good game. Yeah. Great game. I, I would give it a, a, you know, the, the big a, the big dandy AF. If I, uh, if we didn't, if we didn't already come into this episode, knowing that it was going to be fantastic, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. Dandy AF is for something that you have been clued into and you're not already like, this is like one of the you know best design games ever. So, uh, but yes. So I want to know what is your exhortation for next episode? Okay. So we're going off, uh, I, I guess going off the beaten path a little bit. I doubt you have experience with this. Uh, this is a movie. Okay. Okay. So I know the schedules are a little dense right now with school and finals and stuff like that. Uh, so I wanted to give us something light and very fulfilling. This is a comedy for the most part. Uh, okay. it, uh, it's a film by Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, okay. So I, I haven't seen this. Um, I know Wes Anderson is like a well like like director. Um, I know that this movie is like really popular and lots of people think it's great um i'm familiar with like the idea of what it is um i have never seen it i haven't seen any wes anderson movie so this is definitely going to be a new experience for me yeah so this is what i would call one of me and tristan's two movies like like whenever i think like of movies that um like have 
uh, been a big part of our relationship, this is one of the two. And it, it is very funny. It is very touching. I, I can't stress the funny enough. Uh, it, it, it is just like on another level in terms of humor. But uh, it's got a lot of heart. And I, I'm excited for you to watch it, especially like... Yeah, post-election, mid-finals, all that stuff like that. I, I hope that it can uh, it, it can like brighten up one of your uh, one of your evenings. I was gonna say this is an easy one of my favorite of all time movies. I've rewatched it a bunch, and it's still it's still just as like uh, great every time that I watch it. Definitely in the mood for comedies. You know, I enjoy a joke from time to time. You know, I, I can I can yuck it up with the best of them. So uh, yeah, looking forward to to watching this movie. Thank you for the exhortation. And thank you for accepting it. I'm, I'm excited to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it. All right. Well, let's get into some back matter here. Um, so I know that we've been playing. I, I've been hopelessly addicted to uh, Binding of Isaac. Um, I know that you've been getting into um, some stuff. What other than the exhortation and, of course, uh, um, thinking about ways to make this podcast the best it can be. What have you been up to uh, since we last spoke? All right. So for the last week, uh, I, this is currently the last day of my vacation. I, I had a nice little... A t- nice 10 day escape from my job, which is undergoing some interesting changes, which hopefully I'll have some more to say about that the next time we talk on the podcast. But uh, I have on my vacation been uh, understandably playing a bunch of games whenever I'm not like, you know, uh, doing big things to the house, like, you know, cleaning out rooms that have been a mess since we moved in, that sort of thing. Uh, I, the games I've been playing are Dark Souls. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we talked about that a little bit. I have just been it, it that, like Isaac for you. It's one of those games that once I like dip back into, it's very hard to pull myself away from. I can like chain uh, runs together. I'll play through it once and just immediately start up another one because that game just has so many different like ways to play it. Uh, I I played through all of Life is Strange um, season one. Had, was emotionally devastated by that. It was really good. Um, and I, and I've since started up season two, uh, it, which is, it, I finished the first episode a few days ago and, uh, it's already even better than the first season was. Um, but that, that's mostly been my time off. Uh, what about you? Will? Now life is strange. That's the game where the teenagers talk like, like, uh, like real teenagers, right? You, you, they use words like hella. Um, I would say they, they talk about. Okay, so you you joke about that, but I had a lot of friends that said that stuff, and it was just as cringy then. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that this game is very much a relic of when it when it did come out, like te- the way teenagers really were. Like, uh, you weren't a teenager when this game came out, uh, by the way, right? I, 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 I'm a very old man, just so everyone knows. Uh, I. Um... <laughs> Uh, I can't speak as to I can't I can't make any like um, um, uh, assumptions about how the youth speak these days because uh, I have no basis for my uh, uh, for my rambling. So, OK, so this game is very OK. I, I think that people who have negative things to say about the negative di- or the, about the dialogue in this game and say that it, oh this isn't how teenagers talk weren't teenagers whenever it came out. Um, uh, not uh, to, I guess, just to get into my back matter here. Um, I mean, Kaladesh Remastered came out on, uh, you know, Magic Arena, and I'm it's it's killing me because I'm looking at all these cards that I want to play, but I can't because I don't have the cards. There's no like, uh, I didn't buy like a huge pre-order. I didn't open up uh, a ton of packs because I want to save my you know gold for like a, a standard set. 
and, and you know, I'm looking at all these lists with like torrential gear hulks and electrostatic pummelers, and it's just it's really killing me, man. I I I, I need wild card. Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, I think that both Amonkhet remastered and Kaladesh remastered have kind of really. Uh, I, I have played a bunch of arena as well uh, i'm alongside you there where like this last week when i wasn't playing dark souls or life is strange i was playing a shit ton of magic and uh really enjoying it but i, I think that both Amonkhet and kaladesh have kind of like really brought to light how bad the wild card system is on arena um it, i i know saffron olive did a uh write-up on the cost of playing arena especially if you want to play historic and how like bad it's gotten and uh, I, I'm feeling it, man, with Call of Duty. There's so many decks I want to play. Like, cards that I could buy for a couple bucks in real life are, like, it, it's going to take me, like, $50 just to get a play set of. And I think that's a real problem. Right, right. I, I don't want to get too much into the economy of, of Magic Arena on this podcast. Uh, but um, uh, I, I just got to say, I... I I remember Saffron Olive saying that, and I just don't think that the economy should be tailored towards what his use of arena is. Um, I actually do quite like the arena, uh, the arena economy. I, I'm a bit of a, a apologist for it. And I mean, obviously we, we want the cards and we don't want to pay for them, but we could get the cards. All we have to do is just pay for them. I think that us as Magic players need to like be willing to pay for the cards that we want to play with. Uh, so to speak, but still, I don't want to spend the money. So it's a little frustrating to look at and you know not have these cards and not be able to get them for the you know uh, in-game currency. But uh, other than that, I've been um, playing a lot of brawl on Arena. Um, there was historic brawl uh, a little bit ago, so I just slammed the hell out of my Nicobolus historic brawl deck, and I think that you did a little bit too as well, right? Oh yeah, Nethroi Apex of Death. Uh, who needs new cards whenever you just they've already printed the best one? Uh, <laughs> yep. I just uh, I am. Um, if anyone is still listening and is interested in playing Magic, like there there is a very like like simple part of my brain that likes small creatures that have value effects on them entering the battlefield that just like just releases like an insane amount of like endorphins in me, and uh, that deck just does it better than most because you're bringing a lot of them back at once uh, from the graveyard and that's just uh, it's been great i love it i love that you keep sending me all of these diff uh, different nethroid brawl decks that you keep uh, br uh, brewing i love how different each one is and i love that you're putting so much thought and effort into these lists so you know please continue to send me all the nethroid brawl lists you write yeah, if ever there were a thing you could do that could just expend the max amount of energy and get you the lowest amount of like, uh, like return, it is building brawl lists, and not to mention a very like niche brawl list. But man, I, I I'm just addicted to it. I love playing that deck. Yeah, it's definitely your type of you know insane like recursion value deck, and I hope that I never see it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have bad news for you, bud. You, you bought me two copies of it, and I'll be playing it in Commander too. Ooh, oh, okay, yeah, but that—that's all. That's all I've been doing. Um, there is one thing I want to let everybody know before we get out of here is, um, you know, I have made allusions to different things, uh, different extra stuff that this podcast has in the works. I want to let everyone know the Disc Dandy's YouTube channel is up and alive. The Dandy Boys on YouTube—that's Dandy AF. <laughs> 
So this is where uh, right now it's just our audio podcast in video form. Uh, you know, I've put a, a little bit of work to make them, you know, extra static uh, for our podcast. Uh, so it's not video. You're not going to be able to see our beautiful faces on there. But if you want to hear this podcast on YouTube, just search Disc Dandies. We're the first thing that comes up. Uh, all of our episodes will be on there. And, uh, you know, not not saying anything's in the works or anything, but you know, if anything extra happens, I'm sure that YouTube is a great place to look for that stuff as well. So, you know, please, you know, come, uh, you know, give us a like, you know, uh, you know, like our videos, uh, subscribe to the channel, uh, hit that bell icon, all the things that, that you're supposed to do to show your support to us. And we really appreciate you checking out our new YouTube channel. Well, well, that that's great. You ready to button this up? Yeah, let's, let's do it, man. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Disc Dandies. You can follow Will on Twitter at Agro Rhetoric and myself at Action Pancake. And as always, we'd love it if you would follow along with our expert exhortations and stay up to date on all the latest Disc Dandies excitement at, at Disc Dandies Pod. And, uh, you know, join us here for the next episode for another spin with the Disc Dandies. Later. Hey, Craig. Look who's on their A game today and actually showing up. Yeah, we had a, a little trouble with Craig last time. Uh, I wonder if he, I, he, maybe he was having a bad day just like me. Honestly, I think it's just that we've talked so much shit to Craig that he was <laughs> just like, you know what? That, these guys, they deserve a big L. You, you know, that's true. We, we were really ragging on him, and I don't think Craig deserves that. He kind of saved our butt after the anchor debacle. Yeah, so I I would like to take this opportunity to say that post-Thanksgiving, I am thankful for Craig. Hey, Craig. Thanks. Still on thin ice. Get your shit together, but thank you. Oh, Craig, you're you're, you're good. You can stick around for another episode. Little did they know that they were too late. Their attempts to please me have fallen on deaf ears, and while they were recording this, they did not know that I, Craig, would make it so that they would lose 15 minutes of this binding of Isaac discussion. Disdandies, fuck you. <laughs>